0: I think, to, I, I think it's actually really appropriate. Uh, today is the, the final day that Chloe is going to lead us in worship. Um, several years of faithful leading and carrying our community in such an amazing way, discipling us through music. Can we just give Chloe a thank you? So Easter is uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, typically as, as I get close and start looking at Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, my focus oftentimes has kind of been on the, on the physical nature of what actually took place um, on Good Friday, looking at the, the actual crucifixion, um, what Jesus actually endured in our place on the cross. Uh, this, this year has been a little bit different, um, and I've been looking a little bit more about a little bit more at the heart with which he went to the cross. Um, and a place that, that I have tended to skip over in the past or not, not spend as much time in as perhaps um, would be wise is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus prays for the apostles um, right before he goes into, get, into Gethsemane and right before he's arrested um, and sets in motion the cross. So this morning we're going to look at that and um, we're not going to pull apart every single thing. It's so, it's so rich and it's so thick. But what I'm hoping is that, like, in a really, really good stew, when you can taste, like, when you can pull out three particular flavors, I just want to pull out a couple of things that I think are really um, important for us to see and and I hope will kind of reach deep down into your heart and kind of where you're sitting now. So we're going to read the entire uh, High Priestly Prayer in John 17. So will you please stand as we read? Jesus has uh, been with the apostles at the Last Supper. Um, He's told them what's to come. They know, they hear and have heard that he's going to die. He's given them assurance that he's going to be back, but they don't know yet what's going to take place, and this is what he prays. Jesus spoke these things, and raising his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you just as you gave him authority over all mankind, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. And now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. I've revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world, They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have followed your word. Now they have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me, because they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. I'm no longer going to be in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished except the son of destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I'm I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them so that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. O gracious God, thank you for your holy word in which you reveal yourself to us. Lord, speak to us now, we ask, by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) So I hope hearing that read like that um, gives you a context for kind of the full nature of it. A few things stand out and a few things I'd like to look at really really quite briefly to be honest. Um, themes of, of protection and unity and glory are kind of woven throughout the whole thing. Jesus begins the prayer and he's talking about himself and his relationship to the Father. He says, Lord, the hour has come. Now glorify me so that I may glorify you. And then he begins to pray for the apostles. And one of the things that stands out immediately is he's praying for protection. He says, I ask on their behalf. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you gave me. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished except the son of destruction. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but but to keep them away from the evil one. So you have this picture where where Jesus, when he was living and walking and teaching and ministering with the apostles for the three years, Jesus is actively protecting them. He's actively guarding their hearts by his presence in his prayer. But now things are about to shift and he's leaving. He's going to the father and he's calling out and asking the father, holy father, please protect them while I am gone. Please keep them in your name. Now it may seem like a fairly short period of time, right? It's only gonna be three days while he's in the tomb, but he knows what is about to come and he knows who's waiting. He knows that Satan is seeking and lurking and waiting for them. In fact, he told Peter, um, he's told Peter uh, at the last supper, he leans over to Peter at one point, he says, Peter, Satan has requested to sift all of you like wheat. And he's talking about all of the apostles, that Satan has requested before the father to sift them to put them through the grinder to see if they're actually really faithful. And he tells Peter, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and that when you turn and come back, you will be able to encourage and build up the others. See, Jesus knows how bad it's about to get. He knows they're going to scatter, and he knows the tendency is for them to be picked off and separated out. When you hear this prayer, think of it like the prayer of a father, a father praying for his little kids. And he knows the danger that is awaiting them. And I was, I was thinking of um, if I were to send my, my little girls who are not so little anymore, but if I were to send them off to the beach, knowing that there was a riptide that day. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a riptide, but, but a riptide, it, they're hard to see from the shore, right? You can see them pretty well when you're up high. But a riptide can be 50 to 100 feet wide on the beach and it pulls with such strength um, and it can pull you out like a hundred yards out that fast they usually they can get up to like five miles an hour right so you're swimming you're nice and happy on the beach and you get caught in a riptide and before you know it you're pulled out and it's this crazy picture right like it's almost almost a perfect illustration because it pulls you out and separates you from everyone else and you're out there on your own and by yourself in a riptide, you're toast. Someone has to come, or you have to know what to do. If you ever get caught in a riptide, swim to the sides. Don't ever try to swim forward, swim to the sides. You'll break out of it and then you can go in. But they're really scary, they're really powerful and people drown because of riptides. Um, they're, They're really terrible. But the prayer of a father saying, Lord, Please protect them. I'm not gonna be with them. I can't guard them, but you can. Please protect them and watch over them. The protection of a father who knows that he can't be there. And I think that's what I I want us to hear is Jesus praying for the apostles, his children, his friends, his brothers, knowing what's about to take place and knowing that the the temptation is going to be to despair He says, Father, protect them. And then he prays about unity. And it's a really interesting thing, this concept of of unity that he kind of sits so strongly in. He says, Father, I'm not asking on their behalf alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's asking the Father, he's praying not just for the apostles, but he's also praying for all of us who are going to come to faith through the word of Christ as it's later preached. Now there's an immediacy to it, right? Because when Jesus is arrested, they're gonna scatter. And he prays that they will remain unified and together because they're going to need to be. Um, An interesting point of reference, Peter, if you read the scripture, Peter takes off and Peter's the one who's off by himself. When the women show up at the tomb, uh, the angels say go tell the apostles and Peter, find him because he's the one off by himself. And honestly, well, we'll talk about this in a sec. I think Peter took things quite hard as they unfolded. But you have this unity so that the world may believe that you sent me, so that the world may know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you loved me. <clears throat> this prayer for unity in some ways is to me the most almost esoteric um, when you start talking about unity, it feels in some ways so foreign to, to our, maybe just to my experience as a Christian. In, in Christian circles, in, in Christian community, it's so easy to be polarized, and it's so easy to be, to be right, wrong, proper beliefs, improper beliefs, but he calls us into this deep unity. And I, and I think, again, like a father who's, who's praying for his children, I think the reason he's praying for the unity, and if you read throughout the entire prayer, it's you in me, me in you, us in them, them in us. He's not praying it because it is somehow um, a legalistic way in which you must live. I think he's praying it because of the deep and almost inexpressible joy that comes from being united to the Father. So when Jesus lives and walks on earth, he he pulls apart and he goes to the Father in prayer. But I, I don't think he does that out of duty boundness. He does it because there is joy there and there is confidence and stability and depth of relationship, the place where he's most known. And that's what he wants for his followers. That's what he wants for his children. That's what he wants for the apostles. And it's what he wants for us. To be so deeply united to one another and united to him and united to the father and all of us united together so that the world will actually go, oh, they're sent by God. And the love of God's actually in them personally, I think that's one of the most challenging and perhaps um, one of the things in the Christian world that I see least manifested in our world is, is that the outside world would look at Christians and go, oh, wow, the unity I see in them, they actually must be sent by the Father, and the love of God is actually in them. Now, he prays for his children to have that, and I think we should hear that as well. And then the third piece the third piece is glory. He starts with glory and he ends with glory. And this is just sweet, right? He says, Lord, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. So they're going to stay here. I'm coming to you. I'm not asking you to take them out, but I do want them to be with me where I am, and I want them to see my glory. I want them to actually see me as I really and truly am. And think how, how amazing that must have been. How, how Jesus must have thought it will be so incredible for them to see the juxtaposition of what's about to come, me beaten and scorned and hung on a cross. They're gonna see it, but Lord, how awesome How awesome when they actually get to see me as I truly am in my glory that you gave me before the foundation of the world. Like, I want them to see that. And how cool that the Father, that that Jesus wants us to know him, wants us to see him. And that's what he says is eternal life, right? That they may know you and know me. That is eternal life. So this idea that Jesus is actually thinking, Lord, I want them to see who I truly am. What an amazing, glorious desire of a father. And it's, and he goes on, and this is kind of cool. Righteous Father, although the world's uh, not known me, you've known me, and these that you have known, they know that you sent me, and I've made your name known to them, and it will be made known to them, so that the love which you loved me with may be in them. And I think that's at the heart of this is he wants us to know the love that the father loves the son with. And when we see his glory, we'll get that. That's amazing. Okay, so uh, hold on to that as context for what's about to happen. Um, And we're just going to look really briefly at this. When Jesus had spoken those words, so this is immediately following the prayer he's just prayed, he went away with his disciples across the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas, who was betraying him, also knew this place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having obtained the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing that all things, knowing all things that were coming upon him, came out into the open and said to them, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Now then, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. He then asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are seeking me, let these men go on their way. This took place so that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled. Of whom you have given me, uh, I lost not one. And then Simon Peter, since he had a sword, drew it and struck the high uh, high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the Sheath, the 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 cup which the Father has given me. Am I not to drink it? Okay, so they, they get to the Garden of Gethsemane and they're there together. Jesus has prayed his prayer. And now, here comes Judas and, and the garrison, the chief priests and the Pharisees. Um, they're there under torches. They bring, they bring lamps and, and swords uh, to arrest him. And he asks them, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he says, ego me, I am he. And if you translate that, the, the Greek there is, I am the I am. He's saying, I am God. And when he speaks it, they fall back and fall to the ground. And it'd be really easy to try to over-hyperbolize that, turn it into something just um, super dramatic. But I I think what Jesus was doing, I think he was revealing a little bit of himself, almost saying to the apostles, it's going to be okay. I do have the authority to pray the prayer that I just prayed. I am the I am. Then he asks him again, who are you looking for? Jesus. I told you that I'm him. Let these go, and off they go. They scatter, and they arrest Jesus. And what's crazy about all of this is everything that he prayed, praying for protection, praying for unity, praying for glory, all of those things have to come through the humiliation of the cross. He has to go to the cross so that those things will actually take place in their fullest and greatest form. They're only going to have their hearts protected when the Holy Spirit is sent and comes and indwells them, sanctifies them and seals them until the last day. The unity that he's talking about is only gonna be made possible by the blood of Jesus that knits together brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I, inseparable as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We await glory where that brother and sisterhood will be seen in a way that that, that is truly unfathomable. But the protection that Jesus prays for comes through the cross, the unity they prays for comes through the cross, and then the glory. The glory comes from the cross as well. The fact that the humiliation that Christ suffered actually leads to his glory, and not just to his glory, the fact that we will one day see him in his full and truest glory. Scripture talks about us actually seeing Jesus face to face. He'll be the sun in the new heavens and the new earth so that we won't need a ball of flaming gas. He will actually light everything because he is the glorious one. So the thing that kind of set at the very end for me in all of this was I couldn't help but, but see that picture of Peter standing next to Jesus and Judas standing with the, the soldiers. And I've been, I've been personally just wrestling through this, this idea lately of, of the difference between belief and faith and sort of examining myself where those two intersect and where I may be in an unhealthy place of belief and not faith and what's the difference between believing and, and, and believing. And Peter and Judas are so interesting because they've both seen all of the same stuff. They've heard all of the same words. They've seen the same miracles. They believe because they've seen it, right? But there's something different because Judas is standing over there. Jesus and Peter is over here. Now Peter in his faith Cuts off the ear of a, a slave. Peter's f- faith needs some, some deep sanctification and some Holy Spirit's patience. And that's okay and it's gonna happen. But all I wanna ask, and it's not an accusatory question at all, is are you believing like Judas believed? Or are you believing like Peter believed? Is your faith up here or is it in here? Because up here, if this is where it sits, all of those promises, they're not going to be your experience. Because the spirit has to indwell and it has to be a belief of the heart, a transformed and new heart. I've been asking myself that question and, and examining my own heart. And honestly, haven't really liked all of the conclusions that I've come to. But seeing this, I want that Peter faith. And I want us to want that Peter faith. So as you come up to Easter, Good Friday, I pray that the Lord will be gracious, that he'll reveal himself in in powerful and beautiful and lovely and convicting ways. um, And that he will draw us close in ways that perhaps he hasn't uh, before. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we know that you are seated at the right hand of the Father and that you intercede on our behalf. Um, You take uh, the desires of our hearts, the poorly mumbled prayers of our lips, the things that we can't seem to get out, the things that we don't even know we need to pray, and you bring them before the Father, interceding for us, Lord, praying for us. Um, And the Father listens and hears and is overjoyed to answer our prayers. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that desire you above all else. I thank you, Lord, that you are a a gracious father who would care about our protection and our unity and us seeing you in your true glory as you're looking at the humiliation and the suffering of the cross. Lord, thank you uh, for loving us. Uh, Be with us, please, this day and the rest of this uh, week as we celebrate your resurrection. We give you all praise and thanks and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.